Well, and it makes me think, especially in faith spaces, we don't talk about things like contraception and like other things for reproductive health in terms of preventing STIs or preventing pregnancy. There were a number of people out in my small hometown where that was the dominant religious atmosphere that ended up getting pregnant at 16 or whatever because they didn't have the information available to prevent that. To see how that has affected and changed their lives simply because they were not prepared to be parents or that sort of thing. It is an incredibly harmful thing to just have to go in blind. Welcome to the Models We Live By podcast, the podcast that explores how overcoming the mental models we all hold on to can help us grow to become better people. Hello, Gaines. Hello, Brendan. Hello, Piper. Hello, how are you? Hey. I see you wave, and I will convey audiologically that you have all waved, and that makes me feel great. Yes. That's good. <laughs> Sounds good. So, you all run a super cool podcast called Refuge Radio, and Gaines, you and I met at Gather 2022, this conference that was very queer. I remember, Pastor Anthony, if you're listening to this, you were oftentimes the only non-queer person at the table. Um, yeah. It kind of feels good. It kind of it, feels it good. Felt, it felt really good. It felt rare. I don't know, in a faith space I, for, for me personally. Right. But. Exactly. Why do you think that is? I mean, I'm just so un- not used to being in that sense, the majority in the room with in regards to sexuality. Uh, so yeah. that was a different dynamic. And it was refreshing because I kind of assume in the faith spaces that I go into that I need to start doing a little gymnastics to see, okay, where are the safe spaces here? Who, yeah. what conversations can I have? And, you know, that's, it's not fun, but I, there was such a point of just being able to exhale upon mm. walking into that group, which was very relieving to just let that guard down. Yeah. yeah. I spend a lot of my time these days in majority queer spaces. So to then not be the, the majority is weird for me. Like I have kind of fallen into assuming everyone is queer until proven otherwise, <laughs> which uh, can lead to some interesting interactions when I am, in fact, the, yeah. the minority there. But it's refreshing to just be around like-minded people. And that's what yeah. I, I like about the energy that we have over on Refuge. Absolutely. I find it interesting what you just said before we go back to the introductions, because isn't it interesting that for me, it was the first time, like my friends here in Richmond, majority queer, but in faith spaces, isn't it interesting that you need to have that experience first mm-hmm. to realize, hey, I kind of want this always sad and cool at the same time. Yeah, a little disappointing yeah. that it has to be a like a, a fought for thing to feel accepted and like you belong in a space, but also incredibly rewarding once you find the spaces where you do belong. And it's a little bit of a brain trip, but a good one. The Zoomers, they will solve it for us. They they already got it right. So I'm, I'm standing go. here straddling the line between millennial and Zoomer like, come at me. Let's make this better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm Gen X. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> like just your is joints that, or... Is that like the official tagline? <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm Gen X. It hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, Gaines, you and I met. That's that's what got this whole collaboration together. You're like, hey, let's do collab. You come on our show and we come on your show. Mm -hmm. So would you mind introducing yourself and telling a little bit about Refuge Radio and, and how we met maybe? Yeah, sure. I'm Gaines, obviously. <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah, I think how you reminded me that I introduced myself was, hi, I'm Gaines. I do a podcast, which <laughs> yes. is probably the most awkward way to introduce yourself, but I'll, I'll stand by it at this point. That's and right. so, yeah, our podcast, Refuge Radio, and each of us have a little bit of different view on why we do it. So I'll let Brendan and Piper talk about their reasons behind it uh, too is really to like reach out to people who don't have a space specifically queer people and be able to be that voice that they can like reach out to to connect with community so someone in the closet or someone just not in safe spaces and so we bring individuals on to tell their stories growing up in faith spaces and what they're doing now and really, like, as someone who grew up in those unsafe faith spaces, we, like, I, you know, being able to relate to that and hopefully kind of, like, eliminate those spaces and, like, show that, you yeah. know, let's make all of them safe. So that's the eventual goal, or at least being part of that journey with other organizations. That is super cool. I think, especially with what we just brought up earlier, that apparently we're used to not feeling safe. I'm happy that that's kind of your goal to have a safe space. And for the record, I'm still jealous that you said I'm Gaines from Refuge Radio. I'm like, oh, that's, that's so concise. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I yeah just talk in general. I'm a robot at this point. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I love it. I love it. But yeah, I can jump on and kind of expound a little bit on Refuge. So my name is Brendan. I use he pronouns and a yes to everything Gaines said, like just the vision of Refuge. The only thing I would, I guess, add to it for me personally is I come, well, I don't come from a social work background. Sounds like I've been doing social work for a really long time, which isn't true. It's been, you know, just the past like couple of years, I've transitioned out of ministry career into social work career. And I think looking at things from a social justice perspective, queer people, as we were just talking about, don't really often have a voice in faith spaces. Mm -hmm. And so to me, Refuge Radio is kind of a way, in some small way at least, to give more queer people a platform to talk about faith and just in a way of saying yes queer people belong in faith spaces and that's kind of i think another flavor to why we do what we do and why we think it's important to do what we do i got uh hooked up with Gaines and brendan actually last year at the q christian fellowship conference they were looking for someone to come in and take social media over for them and uh i kind of do social media and content creation as my bread and butter piper jones they them by the way uh, <laughs> sorry. Hi, let me yes. just talk about all the things I do before I talk about who I am. That's not a quality that was uh, instilled in me by the church or anything. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so Refuge Radio was looking for a social media person, and a friend of mine actually recommended me for the gig, which I felt horribly underqualified for, but here I am. And... I love 
what Gaines and Brendan had been doing with the podcast before I hopped in. I was a listener for months before I ever became a part of the team. And just creating that space for queer Christians or queer people of faith to share their stories of like how they got to where they are now is right in line with what I try to do. I am a non-binary neurodivergent person who just tries to authentically present myself and what I'm dealing with online so that if other people who are in the same boat as I am can look to that and feel less alone and feel more loved and feel more able to be 100% who they are unapologetically, that's my cup of tea precisely. So I feel like this is a, a good little stew we've got going on over here at Refuge. That is powerful. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. There's no way that I can not make this less awkward, but let's talk about sex. Uh, <laughs> there's no segue for this. <laughs> no. Well, we're talking about sexuality, which goes hand in hand yeah. with the whole Th they sex go. thing. <laughs> so, little background. Last season, I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, what a mood. What a mood. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's start a podcast. I want to talk with some folks. I had specific questions about transness that people funnily asked very directly. Oh, how is it for you and Kim, for example? Yeah. Are you still together? I, I just didn't see it coming that people would actually ask, are you divorced, essentially? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like where we started. Let's just, let's just record some stuff. And I asked some people if they wanted to talk about their mental models and how to overcome them. Like listeners to this podcast know what it is and, and you know what it is by now because we've yeah. seen each other a couple of times now. But I was just interested. And at some point, one thread that kept on coming up was sexuality and how we talk about sex or specifically how we don't talk about sex and even more specifically in, in faith spaces. And uh, you may have noticed that season one was a female-only lineup so consider you three yourself the honorary non-females rock and roll that's right let's go let's go yes and and i thought it was important to make that exception because i think my pet peeve growing up has been that there were expectations put on me as a back then men mm -hmm. that i was not ready to to carry and i can only imagine that it's much harder for people who were in a deeper church space than I was. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? Bye-bye. And I just walked away. But many of you have stayed in faith spaces. And especially after listening to a couple of your episodes on Refuge Radio, hearing like, no, I still consider myself Christian. I still take Jesus serious. So how was it for you growing up in what felt for me to be a very narrow environment? I think for me, I can start this out by just saying that it's like you don't really realize it's bad when you're in it. Like it feels right. Like it feels, I mean, good is a strong word because it doesn't feel good. Like it did, well, at least for me, I'm just talking from my own experience. Like it didn't feel good. There's always something that felt, it felt like pressure. However, it just felt like the reality I had to accept. And that was okay. I always talk about when I started really deconstructing my faith and coming to terms with my sexuality. I identify as gay, by the way, for the listeners. It, that it, it felt like the movie The Matrix. 
I felt like I took the red pill and like I completely saw the world in, in a different way. And it and it was only after that moment that I could look back and be like, oh my gosh, that was really bad. Like this culture was really unhealthy. And then I think for me, as I studied like mental health, it only like further confirmed, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's literally the opposite of what we would do or teach or, and I still feel like to this day, I'm still in the process of deconstructing what messages did I hear both like literally and covertly here and that I took in and internalized in terms of like sex and sexuality. When I think about it, I just think like at the time it just felt normal because that was my whole reality. Like my family was Christian, bought into purity mm. culture. All of my friends were Christian and really bought into purity culture. And yeah. so it just felt like the right thing to do, I guess. Mm. Like the right thing to do to not talk about it or to not deal with it or to be pure. Yeah. Or if you did talk about sex, it was in the context of how can we stay sexually pure? And so any sexual desire or anything like that was always in the context of like confession or like accountability mm. rather than education. So for the guests who are not familiar with, with that concept, can you explain a little bit like an example or so? Because I've, I've heard that before that you get together with a bunch of men and watch a football game and then you say, I struggle with masturbation. Can you pray for me? <laughs> that is like literally what happens. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's, it's during, during yeah. halftime. Like, yeah, correct. So... Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm leaving this part in. I'm leaving this part in. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not far from the truth. Like, it oh isn't. God. It really isn't. Yeah. I was chatting with some, we've got a little home church that we do with basically all of my husband's groomsmen. And they were talking about, hey, you all remember at the men's advance we went to, because they didn't call it a retreat, because men don't retreat. Uh, how, like, there was this panel that was like, okay, how do I get my wife to have more sex with me at, at this men's church retreat? And just sharing horror stories of that kind of like, okay, it's okay to talk about it with the boys in very specific contexts, but otherwise we don't talk about sex. Hmm. Was that your guys' experience as men in faith spaces or... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much like only a certain certain way like that. <laughs> it was like through marriage or guilt-based. It's like in regards to those two things. So yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, like I think in my context, we would talk about sex, but it was always with the understanding that that's what like married people do. And it was, I'm try I'm trying to figure out how to say this. I feel like sometimes there would be such like a weird, gross, and by sometimes I mean a lot. In a lot of like the evangelical spaces I was in, especially in spaces that were really steeped in purity culture, whenever we talked about sex, it felt gross. And I don't mean like because sex is gross, but because it's like, it felt like we were like releasing sexual energy in a really unhealthy way. And like there'd be weird jokes that would borderline on like sexual harassment of like certain people. Like it was just a very strange culture around sex and sexuality. And I don't really know how to 
explain it. And I mean, part of it is for sure, there is almost no sexual harassment training in any church I've ever been a part of. Um, and so no one really knows what what those borderlines are. Like even in my ministry program, we never talked about sexual harassment or sexual assault or how to notice signs of that, even though it's something that's very oh, prevalent in church. I remember I worked as a pastor. Well, I wasn't technically. I worked as a youth leader, minister, technically a pastor. I wasn't ordained or like licensed with the church, but I was working basically as a youth pastor in this church. And I wanted to talk about sexual assault in Sunday school class because I know that is what a lot of people experience, especially as teenagers. And I want to mm -hmm. talk through shame that comes with that, that it's not their mm -hmm. fault. And it was such a, a thing. And so we just that like people were nervous about us talking about it. And so we just like did it. And like, we're like, well, <laughs> better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah. It was such a big moment for people because it's like we don't talk about sex in those ways, in those spaces. We only mm -hmm. talk about it as in don't do it. We don't talk about it as in this is what unhealthy sexuality looks like. And this is what you should know about it for your mental health. I feel like that creates a very... Har well, okay, there are many things about purity culture that are that are incredibly harmful. But on the flip side of having grown up as a teenage girl in this idea of the Barlow girl song, no more dating, I'm just waiting, like sleeping beauty, my prince will come for me. Like you have to save yourself to be the, oh. the perfect pristine bride for your future husband if you even look at another man and think, oh, it would be nice to date him you're like spoiled good you're cheating on your future husband the i have a friend who because she was just ingrained in that messaging growing up when she was sexually assaulted as a teenager she really felt like she was damaged goods after that point so what's the point in saving myself for marriage if i'm already this dirty the, the crumpled 20 analogy you know i don't yep. know y'all have heard that but oh my everything yeah the idea that especially on the female side you are just kind of a a, a good to be acquired an object to be pursued so that you would in a ministry position brendan address that hey sexual assault is a thing that happens and also like it's not something that is your fault i think is messaging that is often just overlooked in church settings yeah it's gross 100 <laughs> percent. and i think piper you hit on i think a great definition of purity culture which is a culture that idolizes virginity Whatever that word means, virginity until cisgender man and a cisgender woman get together and get married. In it's a literally Christian just a church. fantasy concept. It has no yeah. actual bearing on your worth as a human being in case you have never heard that. I was like writing down my thoughts and stuff and I, I was realizing like the purity culture was just like for me, just that danger we're talking about. It was like idolizing that perfection and it was like weaponizing it because it's like you will wait till marriage whenever that is it's not just dating it's like marriage that's the key and if you have sex before marriage it's like you'll get an std like instantly is kind of this <laughs> you will get pregnant that... and you will die yeah, yes it's being girls <laughs> it's like you will... <laughs> and you will die and the idea that it's like oh you're broken and used and no one's gonna want you but god yep. forgives because there's grace but it's like yeah but which is it please tell me and they're talking mainly in the church I grow up in to hetero individuals. So mm -hmm. now when you don't like have a safe space being queer, it's like, 
I don't even know who to talk to. And this all seems like these walls seem so much higher. So it, it was, <laughs> it's a lot. And then when you have people like who are abused, like then, you know, queer people who have been abused sexually, it's like, where do they go for help in the church? And yeah. it's, you know, like Brendan and Piper have been saying, there's no education there. There's no safe spots. So there's so many cans of worms open just now. Sorry. You know? Yeah, I just know <laughs> a lot. All the worms are on the table. No, no, this is this is exactly what I'm hoping for. One like big question that really keeps on coming back into my mind is what does that do to your body image? Mm. I don't know. Because I, I feel like there are so many different factors that factor into like my body image or any issues I have with my body image. Obviously, mm -hmm. part of that is like Western culture and just like images that we are indoctrinated into our yeah. whole lives. But I think like I don't know if it has as much impact on my body image as much as it does just like how I feel about myself in mm -hmm. general and yeah. just like comfortability and in my identity and like who I am. And I just felt for the whole time I was in that space, I just felt such a disconnect from what I was experiencing in my body Ooh. and from what I believed in my brain. And yeah. that there was just that that was a tension that the moment I started to this is my if this is like too graphic, <laughs> feel free to cut this. No, but I will never okay. forget when I decided to not feel guilty about masturbation anymore. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be OK with this. And that tension lessened immediately, mm. that tension in between what I experienced in my body and the beliefs that I held. And I feel like the more I kind of relaxed, I guess, in a lot of these very stringent purity culture rules, the less I felt that tension. And then once I came out as gay, it was like almost all that tension in my body is now gone. And I just wow. feel so much more connected to my sexual desire. I'm like, this is normal. This is good. Like, it's okay to feel these things. It's okay to want sex, etc. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, I'm and now I'm perfect, and I <laughs> everything sex is great. But it's like that's not that's not true. But it's like I think just in bridging that gap with that cognitive dissonance that I had made a huge difference in feeling mm -hmm. more comfortable, I think, in my body, which was wow. not present while I was in purity culture. Well, and disconnection is a very good way to describe that because I know for me personally, I've been working on a lot of different like embodiment work because for a lot of my existence within the church, not even just in terms of like sexuality or whatever, but like in terms of like just having my basic bodily needs met, like eating enough and sleeping because the constant grind of doing ministry work. I'm sure you all know how it goes. But to have to be self-effacing and so separated from your physicality for the sake of doing all the things in the spiritual whatever, it is incredibly disconnecting. So then to have to come back home and check in with your body and figure out, okay, what do I need in terms of whether that's, again, the, the physical needs of like keeping yourself alive or in terms of fulfillment, like sexuality. For me personally, I've been dealing with a lot of that idea that it's okay to want to feel desirable and to just feel good about how my body looks and not have to be like, okay, I need to modest is hottest this shit and not like 
draw uh-huh. attention because oh no it's so scandalous if someone else like looks at me lustfully whatever the fuck you know so i've been doing a lot of work just around feeling okay with being looked at or like not feeling like i have to hide myself and feel like i'm being objectified when the body craves that dopamine that serotonin that comes with sexual attention if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And there's science yeah. behind it that I could not possibly explain if I wanted to, just because I don't understand it. But it is, again, a mental health thing to feel desirable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely agree. Combining that, like, with what you said earlier, Brandon, and what you just said, Piper, and having to deal with that tension, mm-hmm. that's not just a thing that in my brain would usually affect my body image. But if you say that it costs so much tension, that sounds like it's damaging to your body. Mm-hmm. Definitely so. In a horrible way. How many decades of damaged people do we have Oof. <laughs> because of this? A lot. Yeah. I think one of the frustrating aspects of this, and I am I'm about to speak from not my experience because I am obviously not married, But I talked to so many of my married friends who did wait till marriage and did all of the things they were supposed to do. And it's kind of in purity culture, they're presented with this lie that it's like, wait till marriage and you'll have the best sex of your life. At least that was what they told us. Hi, sorry. How are you going to do that if you don't have basic sex education enough to know where the clitoris is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry. And they literally, everyone is like, wow, it's not like an on off switch where it's like suddenly now I have this piece of paper and suddenly all of these messages that I've been told for the past 20 to 25 years are now gone and I can freely enjoy sex. It's like, no, that was not the case. And even in that context, they had to unpack shame and all of these things surrounding sex and sexuality, Mm -hmm. even when they were quote unquote doing it the right way. And so it's like, to me, it's not just impacting the queer community, though I think we feel it more acutely because there's some sort of an avenue for sex and sexuality within the the straight cis community Mm -hmm. in these Christian circles. But it's like, even they are feeling that burden and feeling the damage from that. Well, and purity culture has created just such that environment and culture of sexual shame that even if you've been married for years, there's still like scrutiny into like, okay, what is acceptable for married couples to do? that sort of thing. I had a friend just recently go viral on TikTok because she had left her uh, resource bag of toys and lube and stuff at her parents' place that she takes with when she and her partner travel because you never know when the mood's going to strike, right? Exactly. Uh, And the amount of sexual shaming they got in their comments for being a happily married couple trying to keep the spark alive was just bonkers to me. It's one thing to yuck someone's yums, you know? And it's completely another to just be uneducated on the idea that, okay, some people do need things like lubricants for medical reasons, if they've got a chronic condition that means they don't produce it for themselves or what have you. It's not just a a matter of sexuality, but also a matter of accessibility. And there's just so much that goes into these conversations that are just kind of thrown out the window because we don't talk about sex. 
in exactly. healthy ways. How damaging is it when you then get into a room with somebody and have sex for the first time and you have no clue how anatomy works? You don't have any clue how to talk. You don't understand consent because consent with sexuality is part of a topic of sexuality. So how can you even, while you're having sex, check in for consent? How can you, while having sex, check in if the other person is comfortable or if yourself are uncomfortable? This is supposed to be the best thing ever because I've waited for this, but I feel super bad. Everything hurts. I want to stop, but I got to continue because I've waited until after marriage or yeah. whatever. There's yeah. all these categories that you tick off because we don't talk about sex. And frankly, I'm advocating to talk about sex at a younger age so that we have words to describe things that we mm -hmm. find uncomfortable. Like at a young age, oh, uncle so-and-so was doing that. That felt uncomfortable. But you can only yeah. do that if you talk about sex. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's where I count myself incredibly lucky. Because despite being raised in kind of the evangelical Christian environment, my parents were both incredibly chill people. And when my older sister and I started to figure out sexuality things or start to have questions about it. They sat us down and my mom's a teacher. So upstairs in her office, she had this big old chalkboard and she and dad sat us down and gave us like a very clinical description and an explanation about sex when we were 10 and 11 with like chalk drawn diagrams and everything. So like we got <laughs> the gist of what happened. It completely squicked us out. And so we didn't have further conversations about that until we were 12 or 13 or whatever. And it's just to know that like not everyone has either parents or other people who will tell them or answer their questions about these things because, oh, you're too young to know that huh. is kind of heartbreaking yeah. to me. But as a result of that, I have always been the very sex positive, like, okay, you don't know these things. Well, here's the questions I can answer for you. I once had to draw a diagram on a paper plate for a friend who didn't know how her own anatomy worked. And it's not something I've ever felt the need to shame anyone for because you don't know what you don't know. And that's right. in anything. It's not just in terms of exactly. sexuality and sexual health. But if there are questions that I can answer that they don't feel safe asking someone else, that's always like, hi, let, let me be your sex positive educator friend. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing that for starters. But also, can we all vow to be that person? Or if you don't feel comfortable doing it yourself, just steer people my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Piper will do it. I was at my hairdresser today and I told her that I saw a TikTok where somebody was asking people what they knew about tampons. And then one of the questions was, what do you think is the difference between small tampons and big tampons? And the answer that the guy gave was, well, big tampons are obviously if you have a big vagina. Floored, you know, floored and that guy on tiktok explains oh it has to do with volume of blood not the size yeah. of the vagina mm -hmm. but you know this is yeah. an adult person and i don't think it's a one-off and this no. is fun to laugh on tiktok but it's concerning on the larger scale if, definitely yeah if we don't know each other's bodies and what you just said earlier piper if you don't know your own body either mm -hmm. oof oof <laughs> I think for me personally, the delay in relationships as kind of fighting through 
what do I think about my own sexuality and own relationships and stuff. Early on relationships and encounters, not just relationships, that did have such a negative effect because I didn't know what I was doing or I didn't know how do you interact with someone. And I'm not saying in a dangerous way, but just like, how do you ask questions of one another like we're talking Mm -hmm. about? And I think I've had many conversations with people who are in that same sort of boat where it's like, well, how, how do you start out this? I think like my first relationship was also a Christian who came from very conservative beliefs and we were both struggling with what we believed with our sexuality and we didn't know how to interact with each other on multiple levels. And I would say that relationship was probably doomed from the start because we both... Uh had no guide. We didn't have someone to kind of guide us through this relationship or physical, how does everything work? And I, it's it's a struggle because we don't have that, going back to what we were talking about earlier, for the lack of safe spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think with what Brendan was saying, not until just choosing that path on my own and then seeking out a safer queer environment did I finally be like, oh, this is what things should look like more enough. Well, I'm sure this is the case for most of us, that our first sexual encounters were probably incredibly awkward because we have no idea what we're doing. So the idea of like, okay, what does healthy foreplay look like is foreplay isn't even a conversation in church spaces because it's like, okay, we don't talk about anything about sex. So how are you supposed to know Uh the steps to initiate the steps to get consent? And it's definitely just to add another flavor of this. In my experience, the ways we do talk about that are very patriarchal and very misogynistic. Mm And then it's always, there's always this undertone that people assigned female at birth have no interest in sex whatsoever. And then people who are assigned male at birth have all the interest in sex. And so there's just like that weird undertone to everything and all the Mm -hmm. pressure that's put on the assigned female at birth community is just very weird. And very challenging. I wonder, I have no evidence for this. I have no like clinical like cases or like research that I could point to that's like, and what I'm saying is true. This is like anecdotal me, Brendan as a person and my wonderings. But I wonder if growing up in settings that are very sexually repressive, I mean, this is going to sound like, duh, of course, but I feel like it leads to high-risk sexual behavior in, ter- in terms of not respecting yourself, not respecting your body, not respecting your boundaries, your consent, and not doing any sort of safe sex practices, like mm-hmm. whatever that may be for your body. Yeah. And because when we don't have that education piece, we're just like, whatever. And I think for me, when I first started having sexual experiences... I felt that because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, you know, and so you just enter situations and it's not until you're in the situation that you're like, maybe this wasn't a great idea to be in this situation right now. And I just think growing up in that context where we aren't allowed to ask questions, explore sexuality and gender in a healthy way. I just 
feel like it must lead to more of these high-risk behaviors. Well, and it makes me think, especially in faith spaces, we don't talk about things like contraception and like other things for reproductive health in terms of preventing STIs or preventing pregnancy. There were a number of people out in my small hometown where that was the dominant religious atmosphere that ended up getting pregnant at 16 or whatever because they didn't have the information available to prevent that to see how that has affected and changed their lives simply because they were not prepared to be parents or that sort of thing it is an incredibly harmful thing to just have to go in blind i know for me i was just like kind of like fuck it (laughs) because i was so (laughs) done arguing with the church at that point when i was fully accepting and i kind of got to the mindset of, well, if God hates me and church hates me, well, I'm going to go enjoy myself and love the people I love. And if I go to hell, mm. oh, well. So there's a lot of theology built into that, that breakdown. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. But I mean, yeah, so I wasn't really concerned with risks at the times. And I think there is something to that, Brendan. I, I yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, anecdotally, I know plenty of people who kind of went the same route. Absolutely. I definitely had extremely high-risk sex because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, like you, Brendan, I'll ask people that actually study this. I wonder what the, what the science behind of it is. From my gut response is like, if you don't know how to drive a car... And you just take the car out for a drive without ever having talked about a car, ever seeing movies about cars. You just see a car for the first time you've heard about it and then you just drive it. That's very dangerous. Yeah, I feel that. Something else I think too that has been frustrating for me as I am, especially this is kind of a side thing to everything we've been talking about, but I think specifically as a gay person, even in any sort of secular educational space in America that I experienced growing up, we never talked about gay sex. Mm. We never talked about logistically what any of that looks like. Everything I learned about gay sex, I learned through porn and I learned through like Googling it to be like, what is this? What does this do? What is a bottom? Like I was like, I had to like figure all this shit out for myself. Which which also is not a healthy educational system. Either like, yeah, obviously, but... Yeah. And I learned so much about HIV that I had no idea about until I was in grad school and I was writing a paper on HIV. And I was like, oh, my God, like just seeing the amount of medical research and treatments that exist now and understanding Mm -hmm. undetectable equals untransmittable. No idea. Like, I literally had no clue. I learned about PrEP. I learned about PEP. No doctor had ever talked to me about that before. Mm. Even just in our broader system, apart from Christianity, we are not doing a great job of having great sex educational resources for queer people specifically. It's better now than it ever has been. I will say that for sure. But there's a lot of room for improvement. As a gay person, how do you deal, this goes a little bit back to like where we started off with, how do you deal with the sex ed? Nobody can see me doing air quotes now. You have sex with your wife. It is on your wedding day, right? 
And yeah. how do you reconcile hearing that with your sexual preference? I mean, I'm pan, so I'm like, everything is open for me, but yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. I yeah. don't really know how to answer that question. <laughs> It's so normal for me to hear that and say, this world does not built for me. And I've just kind of accepted that. And it's only really been, this is such a, this sounds so weird, but I, in the past five years, I have come to hate the television show Friends. I used to love that show and now I hate it. Like I just, I hate it so much because I feel so like- bad. There is no real representation of gay people other than Ross's ex, I guess, on the show, who is half the time a joke, half the time whatever. But especially like gay men, there's really no representation that I remember being on that show. And it, it's just to me, like, just like everything that annoys me, I think, about culture at that time. Mm. Which is just like, you need to be comfortable being in the back seat. And it's all just about straight romance, straight messaging, straight everything. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's only really been since I've started coming out. And I feel like the world kind of caught up with that too. And we're finally just now seeing representations of queer love and media that isn't tragic and it can be positive and maybe has like a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And, and their romance yeah. isn't seeped in shame and whatever. It's just normalized. Yeah. So yeah. I feel for me, it's been so liberating to see stories like that. And I think it helps me build in myself like, oh, I can take up space in the society. My love, my sexuality, the type of sex that yes. I have can have a platform in quote unquote, like broader, normal culture. I am doing air quotes around normal because what is normal? <laughs> so I guess when I think about that question, that's just where my mind goes is just how normal it is for me to see this type of love and sex elevated in society and just mm -hmm. being like, that's just how it is, shrug. I don't know if you've already seen Strange World, that new Disney movie. I need to. Uh, yes, please do. I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it warms my heart. Disney is not a woke organization. Disney will follow whatever the culture presents and we'll capitalize on that. They've had their first openly LGBT character in every film since Frozen. It's fine. Yeah, exactly, right? But the way it's been done yeah. from Frozen, like, oh, this this may be my gay family, to in Strange World, there is romance between a boy and another boy, and they never blink. It is just mm -hmm. part of the story. It may as well have been a heterosexual romance because whenever this boy tells oh i know this boy the grandpa is not saying oh uh, a boy you're saying no no it's just this is what i would do as if it was a heterosexual conversation from mm -hmm. the 90s but then that warms my heart because yeah. if even a company like disney thinks that's normal it will normalize yeah typically yeah. you see a story on television and there's cheating in it. But if it's cheating with a woman, it's like, oh, that's wrong. But if it's cheating with the same sex, it's that's wrong and gag at the same time, yeah. which is right. problematic, right? Yes. We need to see that that's problematic. <laughs> yes, 100%. <sighs> 
What do you do when you find yourself behaving in a certain way that is in conflict with what you believe? So what I mean to say is, like, like the example that I just gave. What if you are gay and you're okay with being gay, but you see romance on television and your purity culture has taught you to cringe at it? Does that happen to you? I feel like I still experience this a little bit around sex. Because in my brain, I am like, sex is great. Gay sex is awesome. La, 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 la. But then <laughs> when it happens or when it's a possibility that it's going to happen, I'm just like, no. There's always this barrier of no, I can't do that. Like shut down. Like, oh my gosh, this guy is checking me out across the bar. Don't look at him. You know what I mean? There is this internal barrier that I have to actively work against to be like, no, it's okay. It's okay to be sexually desired by this man right now. It's okay to engage in the sex thing. Like we can relax into this and everything is fine. As long as we're, you know, being respectful of everyone and safe practices yeah. and all that stuff. But I still feel that sometimes. Speaking of Disney, very much Elsa from Frozen. Don't let them in. Don't let them see all of those things. That was my life, literally. I have been taught growing up being humble is super important. And I mm -hmm. think replacing that humility or mistaking it for really just putting myself down and part mm. of that is I can't be desirable to others. So no, I can't go out and flirt with someone or they're not going to like me. Just like, no, no one's attracted to me. And also not giving myself the freedom to be like, oh, I'm going to wear this tank with a pride flag on it. And for so long being like, well, I'm not that type of gay <laughs> and whatever the fuck that means. So it's actually been the past four or five years where I've really been like, no, there is no that type of gay. Mm -hmm. You're going to be who you are and wear whatever the hell you want and just push that image out of your head because that's left over from what people were trying to tell you growing up. I've always been a very sex positive person, as I've previously said, but I was also talking about earlier. For me, it's been a matter of I want this sex positivity for all of you and trying so hard not to continue to carry and place judgment and put it upon myself. That's probably been my biggest challenge, especially as someone who was assigned female at birth. You're told that your value is intrinsically tied to things like your virginity. And as someone who was also sexually assaulted as a teenager, it is all too common for that sort of abuse against you to really disconnect you from your body and make you feel like that you are not your own. And I've had to do a lot of work to heal that in myself. And it's still an ongoing battle to feel like I can be okay with being in my body and loving my body for being my body and to show it the love that it deserves to feel, to want to be sexually desirable, to want to feel good, whether that's masturbation or whatever. It's to overcome that idea that wanting sexual things makes you broken and dirty and gross. It has taken a lot of unpacking to arrive at that point. So I'm continually challenging this myself. Currently yeah. reading Shameless by Nadia Boltzweber. And on my to-be-read list is uh, Beyond Shame by Matthias Roberts. Both excellent books from what I've heard on this very subject. But yeah, again, a process. And unfortunate that it has to be a process, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry to all of you. Hearing that really is touching mm. because obviously it's it's hurtful. Yeah. 
Well, and it's all too common a thing. So if it is, yeah. you are someone who has been mm. sexually assaulted, know that you are not alone. And if you need support, hi, your boys got you. <laughs> oh, snap. Please find people to talk to, yes. which kind of like leads into to my final question that I always ask my guests. What could you tell, especially in light of what you just said, mm. that we all we all have that tension between this is what I believe and this is what I do. Mm-hmm. What would you advise the millions of uh, Pipers and Gainsies and Brendans uh, out there? I like saying Gainsies. I'm going to go for I that. know. I've never heard my name pluralized before. <laughs> so. it's like it, already, it already feels plural. But <laughs> yeah. I know. One, one gain, two gains. <laughs> Gains I? I don't know. <laughs> no. Um. I mean, I think a big thing is have self-worth and know this is your journey and fuck the system. This is your life. At the same time, you know, make sure you find good education, find good sex education, find safe spaces and make sure there's a healthy support system. I'm just so wary of any faith-based purity culture, sexual education system and mainly because of the lack of safe space for anyone suffering sexual assault when that's not there i'm like uh don't even go near it so part of it is be on your own journey and learn about yourself but find those safe spaces that actually educate and provide that safe haven i keep going back and by keep i mean you know the past like 10 seconds that you asked this question i keep thinking about what me like 10 years ago or me like 15 years ago what could i have said to me that would have given me Mm. comfort or given me whatever and i feel like there's not like a whole lot and because especially in my context it's implicitly sexual sin is like the worst sin you can do And it took me years to unpack where is that coming from and why. And it really wasn't until I sat at QCF and listened to a sermon from Richard Rohr. And he talked about what does greed look like? What does pride look like? These things that are talked about most in the Bible are really fucking hard to determine logistically what they look like in someone's life. Sex is not hard to figure out you either you did it like you know what i mean you did it or you didn't i guess but i mean it's more complicated than that but it's like it's a physical action it's a physical thing that happens it's a lot easier to quantify that than it is pride or greed Mm -hmm. and so what ends up happening is we need to shame someone to feel better about ourselves and for whatever reason it's the sexual sins that feel the easiest for us to shame because it's like well clearly you did that and so now i can feel better about myself or whatever so i guess for me it's such a weirdly central part of evangelical faith and culture that it's like i don't know what i could have said to myself to really help nudge me along i mean there are so many things i wish i could have said like sex is a beautiful normal natural human wonderful connective thing and it's nothing to be ashamed Mm -hmm. of and it shows up how it shows up for everybody and that's okay like 
whatever level of drive we experience it or don't experience it whomever it's towards or not towards all of this is normal and fine and you don't need to listen to these mostly powerful white straight cisgender men who want to police everyone's sexuality so they can feel more powerful and better about themselves but it's like I would not have received that well, (laughs) like 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so it takes like so much to get 15 years ago, Brendan, to where I'm at now. And I can't even explain how I got here, I guess. But so I guess I would just say for anyone who is where I was 10 or 15 years ago, who's listening to this you're not alone in feeling the ways that you feel. And if you're in a system that you feel more shame than freedom, that is not a good or healthy system to be a part of. Mm -hmm. No matter how Mm -hmm. much it is sold to you that it is. It's okay to be a little bit selfish. In fact, I encourage you to be incredibly selfish because you deserve peace and love and respect Mm -hmm. and safety. And until you can find those things in yourself, it's not worth looking anywhere else for those things. Because at the end of the day, no matter what space you're in, no matter who you surround yourself with, you have you when you are by yourself. That is at the heart of things. If you are not okay with being who you are, how can you expect anyone else to be? But also until you know yourself and until you understand yourself and how you operate and the things that you need in order to feel that love, that safety, that peace, that respect, you won't know how you need to interact with others to ask for those things. So I guess be comfortable being just you and be selfish about protecting those things. Put yourself first because you're worth it, bitch. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Let's go. Well, thank you all so much, so much for being a guest on the show. And I hope to see you guys soon. Yeah. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for having us. It's been excellent. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just am reading Piper's Sorry. message. <laughs> I was like about 30 <laughs> seconds too late on the draw on that, or I would have just said Geens. <laughs> Geens. Geens. Uh, bless. Why is this so funny? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like Geens. <laughs> we need more games in the world. <laughs> yes. I think there's like four of us in the US, like with my exact name. That's it. I tried to be Facebook friends with them. They didn't want anything to do. <laughs> it's rude. It's like the Josh fight. Do y'all remember yeah. the Josh fight? Was that 2020? I don't remember. I thought we could have a little club, but like, no. Nope. Interested. You're too cool for yeah. them. This has been the Models We Live By podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy this content, it would mean a lot to me if you look me up on Instagram or TikTok as Mish Van Essen. The music is by AGST. Looking forward to sharing with you again next time.